Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. We're popping on out to the KDOS hotline, Alex Myers Golf Digest. Normally, we chat with Alex getting ourselves prepared for major championships, but there has been major developments in the world of professional and even amateur golf as well. Uh, so we need an update here from Alex. Alex, it's Kayla. How are you today? I'm doing great, Kayla. Yeah, this has to be the most uh, busy, eventful December in, in golf history. <laughs> So far, we're not even halfway through the month. (laughs) I know, you know, normally the the, the terminology has kind of gone away with the silly season, if you will. But we just wrapped up the Grant Thornton, which was a mix of PGA Tour and LPGA Tour players. This week, it's going to be the PNC uh, with with uh, fathers, daughters, uh, mothers, sons playing. So kind of some fun break in the action, if you will. But something that certainly is on everyone's mind and top of mind here is John Rahm. And the number three ranked player in the world making the decision to move on from the PGA Tour and go to live golf. Uh, The two tours were at odds with each other, players defecting to go to live. If we remember last year, the year before the PGA Tour, though, in the summer provided us with a very stunning development that the PGA Tour and the public investment fund from Saudi Arabia had engaged in a framework partnership. At the time it was announced, the two sides had said, hey, we have until December 31st to actually come up with an official agreement. Well, it's almost mm-hmm. December 31st. What's the latest from these two sides, and how does John Rahm's uh, movement impact any of this? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is scrambling to try to figure this out, but clearly the ROM signing is going to have a major effect on this deal, whether it gets done or not. But I, it, you know, I think most people think that it's going to wind up leading to a deal getting done because now, I mean, you know, look, signing John Rom is a huge get for live golf, no doubt about it, but there's still live golf. They're still struggling to make a dent. They're still on the CW network. Um, they need the PGA tour. You know, they need that credibility, that history, that they can kind of latch onto, that they can kind of infiltrate more so. So I think now though the tour though says, wow, look, this guy, this new league has come along. They've, um, you know, we kind of held them off after that initial rush of players, but now they go and sign John Rahm, um, you know, maybe the biggest star worldwide, uh, certainly the guy maybe with the, the best potential to be one of the great players. Um, Live Golf now has three of the five best players in the world, if you're looking at it objectively, not at the, obviously, the world ranking system, which doesn't factor in the Live guys. Uh, but Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, you would also toss in that top five. And then three of the past five major champs. So if you're the PGA Tour, you're saying, how can we risk losing any more players, and not only players, but sponsors? I mean, it wasn't exactly tied to the ROM news, but the day after this broke, you know, it comes out that Wells Fargo, a longtime sponsor of the Wells Fargo Championship, isn't going to renew the deal after this year. And, you know, there's been word going around that because the tours had to pump up all these uh, purses in retaliation to live, they're now going to these sponsors and saying, hey, after next year, you're going to have to start kicking in more money. And these sponsors are saying, well, that's not what we want to do. And especially if you're not even going to have as strong of fields anymore. So the tour is in danger of losing more players more sponsors uh, until they get this 
deal done. So in a way, I think the ROM thing uh, should add a sense of urgency to, to this deal, maybe finally getting done. You kind of touched on it there. You know, the PGA Tour trying to do everything that they possibly could to mitigate more players and just a mass exodus. Right. You know, they tried to immediately have an answer with the elevated events. Then they started changing those events to no cut events with guaranteed payouts. Mm-hmm. So did the PGA Tour, in a sense, kind of overextend themselves trying to make sure that their products stayed the same? And to your point here, they didn't actually have the actual financing to back this plan long term. Without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. And it sounds like, you know, the tour is a successful business or sorry, nonprofit. And I guess technically they had reserves of cash. They were able to dip into that for a while, but it just was not sustainable. Now, part of the main reason, too, for that agreement in June was to get these lawsuits dropped. Right. The tour was spending a ton of money on the on litigation. It was there was no end in sight. Um, they had already pumped money into these purses. They didn't want to keep pumping money into to paying lawyers. So they got that done. Um, but now after going through some of that, um, it's just not sustainable to have purses these high, uh, sorry, this high going forward. You mentioned the signature events, um, you know, $20, $25 million purses for uh, a dozen events. Uh, the, the, the player impact program, the PIP payouts, I mean, they just gave John Rahm nine million bucks on the way out uh, for for finishing third in that. So that you're right, there were certain things that they were trying to do. They were desperate to, um, you know, reward a uh, loyalty among their players, but also to kind of show, okay, we we can we can divvy up the pie a little differently here. We can we can give a little more guaranteed money, um, and and in doing so, right? I don't think they were quite prepared to give out that much money. And now they're they're starting to feel the effect. So clearly they need outside investment. Whether it was the the, the PIF fund, whether it's um, you know another uh, uh, equity you know company. Uh, we've heard a few that have been mentioned, um, but uh, they they need something. They need an infusion of cash now. Whereas you know a couple of years ago they the way they operated they were they were doing fine. Uh, but now the, now that the game's been changed and that live is around and is able to throw you know, whatever 300 to 500 million, whatever number you want to believe it, it's just certain individual players that's changed how the tour has to operate. Alex Myers with golf digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So, you know, our main focus here is the top players. You talk about the PIP fund, not the same thing as the PIF, but mm-hmm. uh, PIP fund right. that, you know, is going to the top players. There's a whole bunch of different variety of ways in which they can earn this money. But some of the argument here is that all of this money is really going toward the top player and it's forgetting about the other 125 players that right. make up, you know, any given field on the PGA Tour. Now, is there like a lot of cause for concern from that journeyman for that person that has made an incredible career, five-time winner or something like that about the just the strength, the longevity, where the direction of the PGA Tour is going. Yeah, I mean there's there certainly is a lot of uh there are a lot of uh journeymen whatever you want to call them, not rank and file players who who are upset. They don't think they're getting now um, you know, enough money as well. Uh, some of that's kind of crazy, if, if I'm being honest here. I mean, you know, the, these guys have, you know, maybe maybe aren't in that the, the signature events, but any week to week basis, you know, they're playing for a million plus 
<clears throat> pretty much every week. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's not like th- these other tours have a lot more c- to complain about at the bottom of the money list, right? On the PGA Tour, if you're in that top 125, you're making a pretty good living. Yes, you have a lot of expenses. Yes, you, you know, this and that. But that's, that's part of the deal. Um, but, you're, you know, you're making over a million dollars a year um, before you start paying out and whatever. You're, you're doing okay if you're, if you're keeping your card. Um, I also think the tour, it's been overlooked here. The tour did do a couple things to, to help um, some of these players in the last year as well. I mean, they, they came out with this minimum, uh, if you're a rookie, I think, and you get your card, it's a minimum $500,000 payout that you get. And so you can take that up front, but then once you go over it, you, you know, you cap out or whatever. I mean, and the uh, $5,000 travel stipend, I think per player, if you're at a certain level. So they have done other things for, for these lower players, but certainly the big money that the, the stuff that gets the most news is going towards the star players. And um, again, look, I mean, the star players do deserve a little more, right? They're the ones who people are paying the tickets for. I don't think anyone really minds, um, you know, you look at the pit money and you say, oh, it's a, maybe it's it's obscene. But um, I don't think anybody minds Tiger getting any bonuses, even if he doesn't play. I mean, there were 20 years where Tiger was the cause of all the purses going up, and he wasn't getting anything extra other than what he won on the on tour. So I think there is some sort of justification for, for paying the stars, the guys who get people talking. Um, but I also think that the, the, the rank-and-file guys are, are – are, getting a little crazy now with some of these demands and, and, and you add it all up, Kayla. And sadly, they, they all have a potential to, to bring this whole thing down. You know, I mean, if the tour gets brought down and now we're stuck with live and, and I'm not saying live couldn't be some great thing, but they could destroy the PGA tour as we know it. And, and it's, it, it really comes from, from greed. That kind of leads into my next question here. Did the tours, did the players kind of forget about the fans? I mean, I understand that oh, yeah. we live in a society where we uh, need to make as much money as we possibly can make it when we need to make it. But did some of all right. of this posturing and fighting and everything that's been taking place off the course lead itself down this path where maybe fans start saying to themselves, never mind, I don't need to watch this. I, I mean, a hundred percent. I have, I have a, bunch of friends who are you know decent golf fans i mean not not crazy hardcore fans but they'll watch from time to time they usually you know check tune in on a sunday at least or something and and they're you know they're frustrated they're saying what's going on first of all people are confused by it um they're kind of sick of following it hearing about it um and and now it's just going to be wait. So all these guys are are going to be playing this tournament while all these other guys are going to be playing the PGA Tour. Well, why would I? Now these events aren't as good, and so now the majors become an even bigger deal, um, right? Because those are probably going to be the four times a year where, you know, obviously you have all the, the best players, but even now you're not even going to have nearly as many good good guys on uh, in some of these other elevated PGA Tour events. So you know, the motivation to watch is going to go, it's going down. Live is, um, again, like I said, has not made a dent. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't think Rom is going to make that big of a difference for Liv. Um, I think the difference was more felt on the, on the tour side. Um, and yes, the fans are being forgotten, left about. I mean, you know, we're seeing 
NBC not sending people to the the Ryder Cup or Solheim Cup, doing doing having announcers in in Connecticut calling the action and them cutting costs, and we all hear about the complaints about the commercials and how much is covered and you know why aren't there cameras on every hole and you know s- stuff like that. I mean, the, the, it, it's not a great product for the fans right now. And again, if you're going to have watered down tournaments, which you already had, if we're being honest, I mean the tour. Think about it. Baseball doesn't go 12 months a year. Uh, football doesn't go 12 months a year. Golf tries to go 12 months a year. So you're already kind of watered down. Now you're going to water down those events even more. It's definitely making it less interesting, I think, for fans to want to tune in on a week-to-week basis. Alex Myers, Golf Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. Okay, so we'll place that aside here for now, and we'll go to the other thing that happened here in the last couple of weeks. It's the rollback of the golf ball starting in 2028. Golf companies certainly aren't happy about this rule, and I'd have to think that litigation is going to be coming up soon for that. Uh, Players have been (laughs) outspoken about the rule change uh, that they think it's a good thing. Players have been outspoken whether or not they think it's a bad thing here, but I guess first, can you lay the groundwork for us? What are some of the stats behind the golf ball rollback and like the loss of distance for the professional for the amateur player? Yeah, so you know, there's a lot of mixed messaging here, and there was, you know, the we golf digest, uh, our Mike Sutter reported it before it came out, and so you didn't really get these numbers, and people maybe jumped the gun on how big a difference it was going to be. The the USGA is is claiming, um, you know, that it's going to be. Um, I think 5% off tee shots for the pro player might come out to 12 to 17 yards, something like that. But for the amateur male, it might be five to seven yards for the, for the amateur regular um, female player, more like three to five yards. Um, They're claiming it's not going to be that big of a difference. um, And that you, you really only feel it more with the drivers and the woods versus the irons. Again, I'm not a scientist. I don't know how they're able to, do that and how they know that the golf ball is going to do that, but that's what they're claiming. So um, there's this debate here. Now, the flip side is, Kayla, obviously that, you know, I could kind of be talked into the pros, oh, they hit it too far, you can't play certain courses anymore, they don't play it the way, you know, the architect originally intended them to play. Well, on the flip side, the regular weekend golfer like myself and, um, you know, I'm not bringing any golf course to its knees uh, with my, you know, 250-yard drive if I really catch it good. So to me, it's, I think a lot of golfers are saying, well, what the heck? Why would I ever have to hit a ball that doesn't go as far? I don't hit it that far. I'm not that good anyway. And so to me, it's kind of a tough message, especially as the, the game's popularity is, is hitting potentially an all-time high, that you're going to, you know, change this up on golfers. Now, I will say, this will not go into effect for the recreational golfer until 2030. So we've got some time and it won't go into effect for the pros till 2028. So there is this very long grace period. Like you said, there could be lawsuits in there. There could be challenges. There could be other things. Um, But to me, the, the universal rollback just did not seem to make as much sense as, you know, maybe potentially making a ball for the pros that went a little shorter um, or at select events or, or the majors or whatever. You could have come up with some solution that um, maybe appeased most, both sides a little better than this. 
you touched on it. There's just been an absolute explosion of interest in golf here over the last three years, whether right. it is watching the game or right. playing the game. Uh, the USGA and RNA making a rule like this to not necessarily just stop technology from advancement from this point forward, but the actual rollback makes me wonder here, hold up, do we need to be concerned about all of the technology advancement that we've seen in the clubs itself? I mean, just take a look right. at a driver that you hit from the year 2000 versus the driver you're hitting here in 2023. Right. I mean, the quote-unquote sweet spot is completely changed. Your miss hits don't right. curve as wildly as they did before, and they certainly go right. further. So, you know, should there right. be cause for concern that that could potentially be on the horizon when this game is finally gaining some traction and fun for people? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, they've def, you know, they've actually have put in these limits, but to the overall, obviously, you know, you always hear about a golfer now on the, the champ, PGA Tour champions, the senior tour, that they hit it farther than they did in their prime. So obviously, the technology has gone up so much these last few decades. But you know, the past couple decades, they really have regulated it pretty good. And so I think a lot of the people who are anti-rollback are saying, "Look, with the way the regulations are now, it's never going to get." where guys are hitting like 500 yard drives. It's just not because they have a max on how fast the ball can fly off the club. They have a max on how big the driver can be. Now you're right. The sweet spot, things like that, they've definitely been able to tweak, improve even more and more. And that has made it a little easier, but again, it's not like regular golfers are going out there breaking par all the time, right? At at their, their local muni. So it's still a challenging game, a very challenging game. Um, and doing anything to, to make it even more challenging seems kind of silly. Now, that being said, I, I, I do think that they that this ball rollback is their first foray into maybe turning back, rolling back some of these other things, like you mentioned, Kayla, because, yeah, if you wanted to make it a lot harder or keep the distance down, you, yeah, you could limit the sweet spot on drivers. Um, you know, they already limited the length of drivers. You could do, you could do that even more. You could – um, same thing with irons. You could make a limit, I guess, on the way the irons are lofted. Um, so there are a lot of different things that, that they could do. And I think this is like the first uh, foray into doing that where they're actually going to roll it back. Again, in previous years, they've, they've capped it. Um, but now they're actually looking to turn the clock back, which is kind of crazy to, you know, it's like saying, telling us to go back to using a, a, a cell phone from, the year 2000 it's just like why would you ever do that on, <laughs> on your own but um it's it's so it's it's you know again their claim is it's going to make it better for the environment and courses will be smaller and this and that i just don't think that what they've done is going to make that big of a difference anyway so to me it seems like a lot of hassle for not a significant enough change and unfortunately had they done this 20, 30 years ago, we could have been on a much different path. But now it's it's kind of tough to, to turn it back at this point. You know, it's interesting because golf is one of those sports where, you know, you're playing the same technology that the pros are playing. And it's hard, right. though, to then just say, OK, well, you're a professional golfer, so you're forced into this type of equipment and you're an amateur golfer. So you're in this type of equipment and you're a weekend golfer. So you're in this type of equipment. I mean, is that kind of the direction that we're going to be going down? Well, that was 
the option on the table um, a few months ago. That was the first preferred option by the golf governing bodies. And the PGA Tour basically said right off the bat, we're not doing this. And so that kind of forced the hand. And so a lot of people are kind of blaming now the tour because of their reaction to it. And the man, not to mention the manufacturers, obviously they don't want to change anything. Uh, then the golf government bodies came back together and said, okay, well, if you don't want to uh, split up and do and bifurcate bifurcation, we'll just do it for everybody. So to me, it's not a big deal if I'm playing the exact same equipment as the pros, but I know that's, part of, you know, the tradition of love that we all play the same, you know, same equipment um, on some level, and they don't want to change that. It's always been that way. They, they're so rigid. They do not want to change that. So, but if you really look at it realistically, Caleb, the pros do not play the same equipment that we play. Everything is completely fine tuned to them. They have all the best new, they have new stuff that's not available yet, you know, prototypes and, this and that. So like, to me, that argument is already a little flawed because um, we don't play the exact same equipment as Rory McIlroy to begin with. But yes, that would have been where I would have wanted to see it headed. And that, that was the first proposal back in the summer um, to, to for, for bifurcation. So different rules, different equipment for pros and amateurs. And once that got shot down though, the golf government body said, I don't care if we're going to tick off more people. We just think, that for the best interest to get the pros down, we're going to have to roll it back for everybody. And unfortunately that's the position we're in right now. I a hundred percent see your point that, yeah, pros, we get the prototypes. We have, uh, you know, yeah. something completely bent to our, our liking, et cetera. We have different shafts. We have different balls. I mean, Tiger had his own ball there for a while. Um, I, I guess right. I'm like looking at it from the standpoint of you're, you're a kid and you're growing up and you're learning how to play the game and you're getting good. At what point do you have to change equipment because you're headed yeah. down a different path? So that kind of makes yeah, a- it challenging. Yeah. No, that's a great point. It, it, I'm not saying that wouldn't make it messier. It, it definitely would make it messier because then it's like, oh, well, what level of amateur events do you do you switch to the, the higher equipment? Because obviously, like the USAM would be the people on the precipice of potentially turning pro. What, right? And don't you have to prep to get ready for that? The one thing I'll say is they do have that in baseball. There is some kind of precedent, obviously, with the wooden bats versus metal bats, and um, guys are able to make that transition now some aren't but that's just the way it goes i guess so um but no that clearly would make things more messy um and so i'm not saying that that wouldn't but again the aim of this is to is for the pros to not overpower and obsolete these courses um you would think that they would be the the targeted versus again the, the weekend hackers Absolutely. Uh, final thing here for you, Alex, Alex Myers, Golf Digest, uh, gracious enough to take some time with us on this Monday. Um, are we going to be throwing this conversation out the window and kind of our dejected nature about it because April's rolling around in Augusta National and we're going down Magnolia Lane and everything will be fine? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, look, we got a long way to Augusta, but right now, I mean, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, we got Tiger in the in, playing with Charlie this week. That'll be cool. We had the Grant Thornton last week. That was kind of cool. But there's just so much negative news right now with all this stuff that I do just kind of want to fast forward the clock to Augusta. Hopefully we're in a better 
state um, either maybe not with the rollback as much, but certainly with the live PGA tour stuff, because it kind of scares me that um, golf could really uh, take a back seat, maybe to some, some other sports. Um, and, you know, golf has had such a great run, especially during the tiger era, of course. And uh, to kind of give it all back because uh, you know, a lot of some pros got, got really greedy would be uh, would be sad. So yeah, let's hope that by April yeah, we we have a lot more positive stuff to talk about. I look forward to it. As Al, as always, Alex, thank you so much for the time. This has been a you know it, it's been a good conversation. Yes, yes, <laughs> sounds good, Kayla. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. Take sounds care. great. Uh, Alex Myers there with Golf Digest.